Bethany. Let's talk about this, please, and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this night that we can come together as believers and be able to worship you. Even in the midst of a pandemic, Father God, we thank you for the privilege of having a God who is ever with us and ever present with us. And we thank you, Lord, tonight that we meet together in this place and indeed online and take some time, Father God, out of our busy schedules to come apart and spend some time in your word and to refresh ourselves at the wonderful fountain of the word of God. And we pray tonight that you'd refresh us, you'd bless us through your word, encourage us by its truth. Lord, I pray, as always, that you give me wisdom from on high, that, Lord, I might know what you want me to say, and I would say it according to your will. And tonight we would be blessed by your word. Guide our time, we pray, in your word this evening. And speak to us, we pray. We'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been considering, of course, in Romans chapter 6, the doctrine of sanctification. We mentioned the fact that there is an idea today that sin is as normal for the Christian as falling down is normal for a baby trying to walk. But Paul says we don't need to sin. In fact, he says we can have victory over sin. And Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 are really all about the fact that you and I can have victory in Christ. And Romans chapter 6 informs you and I that we can have victory. In order to have victory, there's certain things that we need to know. Firstly, we need to know that grace is not freedom to sin. Secondly, we need to know that we are dead to sin. Now today, the third thing that we need to know is that we should not serve sin. Here in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Here we find the Apostle Paul, based upon what has already been shared with us, now tells us what else we need to know. And first, what we need to know is this, that the old man is crucified. Look in verse 6. Knowing this, that, the old, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. What the Lord wants you and I to understand now as we continue on in Romans chapter 6 is that to wallow in sin in order that grace may increase is to defeat the very purpose of our lives now that we're believers. God doesn't want you and I to live in sin. He doesn't want you and I to live defeated lives. He wants you and I to live in victory. And so he says, knowing this, or to put it another way, for we know. Knowing this is the Greek word gnosko. And the interesting thing about gnosko is that this knowledge here is an experiential knowledge. This is not just something you know because someone taught it you, that you know that 1 plus 1 equals 2, because that's what you're taught in the classroom. This is an experiential knowledge. This is something that we have learned by experience. 
And not only that, but this word in the form which is given here in the Greek, it also carries the idea of progress. And so what it's saying to you and I is that you, that ye are knowing this from experience. We know these things, we are knowing these things from experience. And then he goes on to tell us what it is that we know by experience, knowing that, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. We know by experience that the old man is crucified or was crucified with Christ in the past. This is a fact that we know. This is a fact that's taught in the scripture. This is something we know. The old man has been crucified with Christ. And the death of the old man is an established fact. Every born-again believer knows that when we got saved, a change took place. We know that, you know, old things passed away, old things become new. You and I know that when we became a believer, change happened to all of us. It's something that we know. We know that the old man, even though we may not have called it that, we may not have understood that part of the doctrine, all of us know that something changed when we got saved. It's an established fact. It happened spiritually when you and I were identified with Jesus Christ at, uh, at his death at salvation. So the crucifixion of the old man is something that God did in us. What's been told us here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 is that this is something that God did in us at the time of our salvation. This is not something that we have to do. This is not something we have to strive for. This is something that God did in us at the point of salvation. The old man died. You see, none of us nailed the old man to the cross. Jesus did that. And we're told to account this as being done, to accept this as being done. This is to be a settled fact for all of us as believers we have to accept the fact that at salvation the old man was crucified with Christ. One commentator said this, In us there was nothing even to sicken and to weaken our old man, much less to murder him by crucifixion. God had to do this. And so we should know that the old man is crucified. Now he doesn't mention it here, but the reality is because the old man is crucified, now we need to understand that in the place of the old man, God gives to you and I as believers a new man. Look in Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. And verse 10. Colossians 3.10. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Line up one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. When you and I got saved, when you and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, the old man at that point was crucified. And at that moment, you and I were made a new man. We received the new man. And then to describe the new man, one commentator put it this way, the new man is intrinsically obedient and pleasing to God. This aspect of our person is that which was raised with Christ in his resurrection. 
God uses our death of the old man and the sin nature to liberate you and I from sin. In other words, at salvation, what God did for you and I was he empowered you and I to live victorious lives. He crucified the old man and he placed within you and I the new man. The new man that intrinsically wants to obey God. The new man that intrinsically wants to do the will of the Father. The old man is dead, the new man is there, and therefore you and I should have the victory. Because the fact is that a dead man can no longer have authority over us. A dead man can do nothing to us. A dead man can not make us do anything. And so we're to remember to account the old man is crucified with him. And the two other places in the New Testament which mention the old man remind us to put off the old man as something dead and gone. We already read one of those in Colossians. Go to the other one with me. Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed of the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we put off the old man, which was corrupt, and we renewed in the spirit of our minds, and we put on the new man. This is the change that took place in you and I at salvation. Now it's important that you and I understand what is meant by the old man. Because if you read lots of theology books and you get yourself reading a lot of commentaries on Romans, you will get a difference of opinion about what the old man is. So what is the old man? What's he talking about here? When he talks about the crucifixion of the old man. Well simply put, the old man is what we were in Adam. Now remember, that's the context of Romans chapter 5. Remember, we were in Adam. That was our relationship. He's our federal head. And because of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden, he sinned. Death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We were in Adam. That was our position. We were positionally in him. We were related to him. We stood condemned because of him. You and I were uh, under the uh, sentence of death because of the sin of Adam. And death passed upon all men because of that relationship. When you and I got saved, we were changed from that relationship to Adam, our federal head, and we were placed under the leadership, the authority of Jesus Christ, our spiritual head, the second Adam. The old man is what we were in Adam. The new man is what we are in Christ. So when the Bible talks about the old man, he's talking about that old relationship, the old sinful relationship relationship, the sinful nature that we had in Adam. So what happened when we got saved, when you and I were translated from the kingdom of unrighteousness, the the reign of Adam and the reign of sin, to being in Christ and under the kingdom of righteousness, what happened at that time was that the old things passed away, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us. We have died to that life. And we've been resurrected in a new life. 
the life of God, that resurrection life. Remember, that was the first part of Romans chapter 6. We were buried with him in baptism and we were raised again to the newness of life. We are new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are new creatures in Christ. We were in Adam. That's the old man. At salvation, God crucified the old man. Now we're in Christ. That's the new man. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We no longer have an inheritance or our hope or our future in Adam. Our inheritance, our hope, our future is in Christ. And it's the old man that linked us to sin. It's the old man that linked us to death. It's the old man that caused death to pass upon all men, for all have sinned. It's the old man that links us to Satan. Now because of Christ, that involuntary link to Adam no longer exists in our lives. The old man has been crucified. And God, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, has replaced the old man with his spirit. You and I now have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the empowering of the Spirit. You and I are indwelt by him, and you and I can indeed be filled daily by him. We can indeed walk in holiness because we now have a new nature. The old self that we once were, that old self, the person that we once were, has gone. Our old unregenerate nature was taken care of at Calvary. And now through salvation, we've been regenerated. We've been born again. All the wonderful doctrines come together as we talk about this death of the old man, the giving of the new man. You and I have been born again. You and I were related to Adam by physical birth, and now because of our spiritual birth in Jesus Christ, we're related to Christ. We are new creatures in him. We are a new man. And we need to understand, as I said earlier, that to wallow in sin is to defeat the very purpose of our lives for which we were saved. We were saved, the old man was crucified, the new man was given unto us so that you and I could live victorious lives, so we could be holy as he is holy, so that people could see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now the question that we need to ask then is, why was the old man crucified? Well, I want you to notice something secondly, the purpose of this crucifixion. Notice what it says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. See that little word, that? Well, the word that, there in the middle of that verse where it says, that the body of sin... The that there is in order that, or for the purpose of. So you and I, the old man was crucified in order that the body of sin might be destroyed. 
And that henceforth, we should not serve sin. Now, it's an interesting phraseology, isn't it? It says here that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, the word destroyed here carries with us the idea of something being destructive. You know, it's a bit like somebody getting a stick of dynamite and sticking it in a tree stump and then pressing the plunger and the thing blows up and it's destroyed. Okay, there's not much left of it, just dust and everything else. But that's not the Greek word used here. Okay, this is not the Greek word you would use for destroyed in the sense of that kind of devastation. This word destroyed here carries the idea of rendering powerless. It means to put out of action. It's interesting, it uses what's called the subjunctive mood, which doesn't mean a lot to you if you don't understand Greek, except let me explain this to you. The subjunctive mood means this. It's the mood of potentiality. In other words, he says that the old man was crucified so that potentially we might be freed from the body of sin. The old man was crucified in order the body of sin will be potentially rendered powerless. Now that's interesting. Because he's not saying here that when you and I got saved, the old man was crucified, and therefore the body of sin was destroyed, and no longer will you sin. Which is what some would like you to think this means. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that with the crucifixion of the old man, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we therefore are new creatures in Christ, there is a potential for you and I not to sin. The old man was crucified that the body of sin would be potentially rendered powerless. I'll show you what I mean by this word and what it means by going to Romans chapter 7 and verse 2, if you would, please. The same Greek word is used but translated differently. In fact, translated in a way that helps to understand what this word actually means. Romans 7 verse 2, For the woman which hath an husband, is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed. That's that word destroyed. She is loosed from the law of her husband. Probably a good job they didn't translate it destroyed here. She is destroyed from the law of her husband. I'm not too sure that that would have gone down very well. But uh, it's the same Greek word. It's the idea of loosing, the idea of letting go, potentially, Something can happen. The body of sin is rendered powerless. It's loosed so that it would no longer be subservient to sin. And that's what he says in verse 6. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Now we need to understand that we do not automatically, without thought, have to obey sin's very dem- every demand anymore. That's what he's saying. See, before we got saved, we were the old men, and, and we were subservient to sin. We, had, we were the every whim and every, every uh, uh, command and every desire of sin. We were attracted to that. We had no choice. We were, under, we were its slaves. But at salvation, we've been set free. 
We've been given a new nature and no longer do we have to obey sin's every command. Sin has been rendered powerless. We're set free from sin because the old man has died with Jesus Christ on the cross. Now a new man, a free man, lives. We're new creatures in Christ. Now if you and I are going to fully understand this passage, fully understand what's been said in verse 6, then we need to understand what is meant by the body of sin. What is it that we've been, what is it that's potentially been given the victory over? What is what has potentially been rendered powerless? What is this body of sin that's been rendered powerless in our lives? Well, the word for the body, there in verse 6, that the body of sin, the body, is the usual Greek word for body, both literally and figuratively. Okay? So this body, flesh and blood, okay, or body figuratively. The phrase of sin, the body of sin, is used to describe the kind of body. So the kind of body being described here is a body of sin. The body in view is a sinful body. So what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about our flesh that has indwelling sin in it. He's talking about this body in which we dwell. He's talking about this flesh in which we dwell. In this flesh, there is indwelling sin. Look in Romans chapter 7, please, and verse 17. Romans 7, 17. It says, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but had reform, that which is good I find not. Sin dwelleth in me, says, I know that in me, that's in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Sin dwells in this body of sin. In this body of flesh, sin dwells. So when the question comes up that is often raised, if the old man is dead, if he was crucified, why do I feel the pull of sin in my life? I mean, that's a reasonable question. Isn't it? If the old man is dead, the logical thing is, I should never have a desire to sin ever again. And that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That would be great. If you and I, the moment we got saved, also never again felt the pull of sin in our lives. There's a day coming that's going to happen when we get to glory. But right now, that's not true. You and I know, if we're honest with ourselves, that regularly, sometimes daily, sometimes hourly, we find ourselves in this old body, we find that there is a pull on the inside to want to sin. Even if we don't give in to that sin, we do feel the temptation to sin. We feel the pull. Because the old flesh wants that thing. You see, that pull, that desire to sin, comes from the flesh, which is distinct from the old man. The old man is dead. 
but the old man is dead. The new man indwells this body of sin. The flesh, this body of sin, is still with us, and it craves sin. The new man intrinsically wants to obey God. And this is the battle in our lives. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit wants to do the will of God. The flesh wants to do the will of the old man, even though he's dead. And that's where the battle rages. And the reason is because this old flesh has not yet been delivered from the effects of sin and the fall. You see, spiritually, I am dead to sin. But the body, the flesh, is still subject to it. Because we're not yet glorified. We still have the old flesh to contend with. Our inner being, our inner desires, our inner impulses, our inner passions, these are played out in our mind and in our will and in our emotions. And sometimes you and I will find that our emotion, our intellect, our will wants to do the will of God and is yielded unto Him, and other times it yields unto the flesh, and it wants to do the things of the flesh, and this is the struggle. And the reason for that is because Jeremiah 17.9 reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, the truth is sin is a terrible master. And it finds a willing servant in our body. The truth is the body is somewhat neutral. It can be controlled by God or controlled by the flesh, by sin. We can have either way, our body being controlled by God or can be controlled by sin. And the truth is that we have a fallen nature before salvation. And therefore the body is the possession and slave of sin. But once we get saved, once we're made new creatures in Christ, once we are released to walk in the newness of life, the body no longer is the possession and slave of sin. That's the point of this passage. The old man is crucified. That the body of sin might be loose from that unrighteousness might potentially be able to not sin. We still have the body of sin. But now because we're saved, we don't have to let it control us. And when you and I are tempted by the world, or the flesh, or the devil... And we yield to sin, sin gains a beachhead in our lives by the flesh. And sin is a terrible, terrible thing because, you know, sin is, is attractive. Sin is appealing to the flesh. Sin comes along, it's a bit like, you know, going fishing. 
and there's that hook in the water and you've got that juicy worm on that hook and that fish comes along or that prawn or whatever it is you might be using for bait, that fish comes along and he sees the bait but doesn't see the hook. And he comes along and he swallows the bait and then next minute he feels the tug of the hook through its mouth and the fisherman pulling the fish out of the water. That's sin. Sin's there in the water of life and it looks appealing. It's glistening in the, in the, in the, in the water, in the sunlight rather. It looks beautiful. It looks attractive. It, it, it might even smell nice. And we then get attracted to it and we swim towards it, so to speak. And we consume it only to find that it has a hook in it. And we then regret what we've done. See, the the flesh is a problem in the battle against sin. Because as one commentator said, it has been expertly trained in sinful habits. The flesh has been expertly trained in sinful habits. The old man, before he was crucified with Christ, trained and imprinted himself on the flesh. You know, that's why it's wonderful when people get saved at a young age. That's why we need to pray that our children get saved young. Before the flesh has opportunity, or rather sin has the opportunity to imprint upon their flesh wickedness. The older you are when you get saved, the more the flesh has been trained in wicked devices, the more the struggle will be throughout the Christian life with the struggle of the pull of the flesh because the old flesh still loves the old sin and it struggles with it. But if you've never ever tasted the sin, if you've never ever tasted the iniquity, if the flesh has never been trained in iniquity, then you'll never have a hunger for it. You'll never have a desire for it. You'll never have a taste for it. And so you get saved when you're young and mum and dad bring you up in a godly way, in a godly home with rules and restrictions and things that as growing up you may think are over the top and you may think that they're difficult and why will my mum and dad not let me do it when other parents let them do it? But one day you will be thankful because you will have not had a taste of those things and when others are struggling with that sin you think to yourself, what's there to struggle with? What's their problem? Don't they know that they can have victory? Wow, I don't even need victory over it. I don't even desire it. And young people and children, you ought to be thankful. If you've got parents who have restricted you and have put upon you regulations of how to live your life and said no to things, you ought to be thankful because they're protecting you for when you're older. When the struggle of life happens, there will be so many things you won't even want to have a part of because you've never tasted them. Because you see, sin trains the flesh and taints the flesh before we get saved. But once we're saved, then we can have the victory. And the influence can be taken away. You see, the world can have a continuing influence on the flesh. Now, of course, the devil seeks to tempt and influence the flesh towards sin. But God wants to have the victory.
Paul expresses the problem for us in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 to the end of verse 21. We read verse 18 before. Let's read it again. He says this, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but had performed that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more that I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I have this struggle going on. I know that in me dwells no good thing, he says. In fact, the things I would do, the good I would do, I do not. The good that I would and the bad that I would not do, that I do. I struggle with this. Why? Because I find that within me, that's in my flesh, he says. There's a law present. An evil law that's present with me the whole time. I struggle with this. Paul says the old man is crucified, he's killed, he's gone, so that, or for the purpose of rendering the body of sin powerless. Before we were saved, with only the old man to identify with and rely on, we simply were at the mercy of the desires and the impulses of our bodies. But now because of Christ and our relation to him through salvation, this situation is no more. The effect of this crucifixion, the purpose of this crucifixion is that the body of sin, this body that lusts and commits sin, is rendered potentially powerless. It no longer has to dominate us. It's true that sin wants to seek, wants to seek, or rather, sin seeks to dominate us. Sin seeks to enslave us. Sin seeks to make us its possession. Sin wants to master us, find a foothold in the flesh. James tells us that every man sins when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But in Christ, we died to sin, and we're set free from sin. Now to reinforce this idea of being, of not being any longer a slave to sin, Paul goes on in verse 7, he says this, he says, for he that die is dead is freed from sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. For he that is dead is literally for he that has died. So he that has died past tense, in Christ at Calvary, is freed. Now everywhere else in the New Testament, this phrase, is freed, is translated as justified. Or made righteous. So here this verse 7 could read this way, for he that is dead has been made righteous. He that has been planted together with Christ in his death has had his sin paid for, he's forgiven, he's cleansed, he's no longer under the jurisdiction of sin, but of righteousness. You and I have been declared righteous. 
When God looks at you and when God looks at me, he does not see us as sinners. He sees us as righteous in Christ. He sees us standing in the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees you and I as righteous. And if we've been made right, if you and I have been declared righteous, then wrong can claim, can have no claim or hold over us. Before we got saved, we were in sin, but now we've been made righteous in Christ. It's interesting, in verse 7 it says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. The little word from there means away from sin. Away from sin. It shows the direction we traveled. We were in Adam. We were sinners. We were in sin. Death passed upon all men because of all of sin. We were in him. But we have been delivered from and we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You and I are now in Christ. We've been set free from sin. We've moved positionally in Christ. So that sin can no longer be our master. You see, when we were in Adam, sin was our master. But now you and I are in Christ, Christ is our master. We have a new master. And that master wants you and I to live victorious lives. We no longer have to serve sin. Because sin does not possess us anymore. Now, this doesn't mean that you and I can reach a place of perfection before we get to glory. It would be nice if we could, but it doesn't mean that. But there is a difference between committing sin and constantly living and delighting in sin. That's the point here. You see, the unsaved constantly lives and delights in sin, and they know no better. But as believers, you and I are now in the realm of Christ, and you and I commit sin but we don't constantly, continually remain in sin because we get convicted by our sin. This Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our unrighteousness. No one that is saved wants any longer to be a slave to sin. In other words, a true believer will not feel at home sinning, but hate it. No, we are in Christ, experience the freedom of death. We do not sin because we have to. And we do not sin because we have not yet been glorified. Uh, rather, we do sin because we have not yet been glorified. But we're no longer under the power of sin. For we're dead to it. Death's broken the relationship. So when you and I now sin, we go and we put on those old grave clothes and we start to walk around in the old ways, and we put on the, the old clothes of Adam, you know, and it's not after a little while, you and I start to feel uncomfortable in those things as believers. And we go unto the Lord, and if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just forgives us our sins, and cleanses from all unrighteousness, we get a good old scrubbing down, and we start to feel clean again. We start to feel uh, 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 standing in His righteousness again, in right relationship with Him. But then the old world, the old flesh starts to, to be tempted by the world or, or by Satan and we start to feel the attraction again. 
and eventually we put on the old grave clothes and we walk around a little while until such time we start to feel like we're dirty and we're uncomfortable in these things and we now turn to the Lord. That shows that we're saved. Because a change has taken place. We don't like sin. We, do, we don't enjoy staying in that sinful condition. We find it reprehensible. We find it uncomfortable because those clothes no longer are the clothes we like to wear. In Christ, we're justified from sin. We've been declared free from its penalty and its possession of us. We're no longer under the power of sin. We're free to obey God and to walk in His righteousness. We can choose to sin. We can choose to act against our new nature. We can choose to yield to the flesh. We can choose to put on the old grave clothes. But the truth of the matter is, beloved, we no longer have to yield to sin. We can have the victory. One day you and I will receive a glorified body. And in that day, what a day that will be. When you and I wake up in glory and we no longer have any desire whatsoever to sin, because this old body of sin is gone. But while ever we're in this life, this body of sin is present with us. This body of flesh, which was trained by the old sin and the world, will always have a pull to do unrighteousness. The key is you and I recognizing ourselves to be dead indeed under sin and live in a sweet relationship with Jesus Christ, moment by moment, day by day, so that you and I might be all that Christ wants to be. Because of Calvary, you and I can walk in the newness of life. And therefore, beloved, because of Calvary, let's indeed strive to walk in the newness of life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you, Father God, for the challenge here that we are dead to sin, that the old man is crucified, and that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we would no longer be servants of sin, but we would be freed to walk in the newness of life. Help us to live that victorious life by your power. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.